You are now listening to the Socks and Sandals podcast. Every time an independent, a truly independent source goes into the Portland Place Bureau, we find chaos. Just one of the people like just told to my managers who like had fired me, they were like, yeah, did you see Tevin's video was on Complex? Dog, they sick, man. You gotta be eye. And I was just like, I was laughing because it was just like, you know, bro, like, you know, God, God always got a plan. So in that moment, I thought, you know what? I don't care. I'm gonna sit here in the middle of this aisle in Target and talk to her and break down what is going on and why she believes that these white Barbie dolls are more valuable or should come home with us over these brown and black Barbie dolls. Egyptian creation story is a very sexual one, mm-hmm. and it talks of the god creating himself through a sexual act with himself. So it's a masturbatory big bang, if you like. Like I never even hire coaches when I establish a program. I always hire mentors. First. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because a mentor gets the big picture. Coach might just get basketball. I want somebody that under X's, and I want somebody that's about whole life. I'm not the only podcaster out there. You're not the only marketer out there. Like, there's a lot of people doing the same things. But the things that's going to separate you and I from the rest of the people is that we become our best selves and we just don't quit. So what is the gospel? What is the pure, unadulterated yes, gospel? Yes, yes. And that is what I live by because the moment this changes is the moment I'm leaving Christianity. Okay. The pure, unadulterated gospel, and I can say it in one sentence, but I'll elaborate. For sure. Is love God and do whatever the fuck you want. I want to welcome you all back to the Socks and Sandals podcast, where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. It's your guy, Emmanuel. I'm back in the building, whipping it up, and I have a very special guest with me this time around. I have an educator of 14 years, a strong Black woman out of Philadelphia, Miss Tiki Davis. Tiki, say what's up to the people. Hello, everyone. Good evening. Well, good evening on the East Coast. <laughs> word, word. Tiki, I appreciate you for coming on the show. Um, I'm excited for our conversation that we're about to have. Um, today, as we're recording this, it is November 11th. We, I, I guess we have a president now, President-elect Joe Biden. You know, we got a yeah. change of power. Uh, who knows, though? We might have a recount. We might have a Bush-Gore type situation. But as of right now, we have Biden as the president-elect and uh, Senator Harris as the future VP. How are you feeling? How are you feeling about that result of the presidential election? Well, I think when it comes to Black people, I don't think it really matters a whole lot. I mm. think we have um, history as our experience and as our um, proof that it really doesn't work. You know, We have hundreds of years. Mm. And so I think for us, we need... Um, we don't need a person. We need a new system. You're speaking a word right there. Simply put, we don't need a new person. We need a whole new system. Man, I, I feel you on that. It's, it's funny because um, as I'm teaching my course, the Know Your Enemy, the Evolution of Racism, I'm in going into week five. 
and I'm going into the period where we've talked about history. I've covered from the 1400s. I've talked about, you know, Spain, Port or Portugal, Spain, and now, you know, English rule when it comes to white supremacy. Um, and now I'm getting into theory, you know? So now I'm, now I'm gonna introduce my students into Nilly Fuller's ideas, Francis Cress Wilson, you know, Cress Theory of Color Confrontation. And it's all about replacing the system of white supremacy or the system of racism with the system of justice. It's yeah. a tall task, you know, but it's necessary information, it's necessary work. And so what you said is spot on and it just resonates with what I've been really, you know, putting together over the past couple of weeks. We gotta replace this system. You know, yeah. your head in office is cool, of course, you know, Trump's brand of racism is a little more uncomfortable than Biden's brand of racism, but we still dealing with racism. Yes. So something yes. has to be done more than just changing a man in, in that seat. Yes, I agree. So uh, we will see. We will see. We're going to continue to watch this thing play out and uh, hopefully it doesn't get too messy. But, you know, with Trump still there for another two months, who knows what he's going to try to do. <laughs> He doesn't want to leave, so no. <laughs> he's a sore loser. Right, exactly. No, so. We'll see about that. But it, it's funny, though, because <clears throat> seeing all those, I, almost, I have not seen one Trump 2020 flag. I haven't seen no pickup trucks. I, it's like his whole base, they, they done tucked it in, you know? What happened? Where did they go? <laughs> they, took the, they took them flags down, you know, they stopped decorating their truck, all that, man. They, they was quick to give it up. Yes. I guess I guess I got to go back in the hide, and I guess that is a positive thing, you know. <laughs> I guess I like it blatant. No, I feel. You. <laughs> I feel you. It's it's yeah. funny because you know I grew up out here in, in Portland, Oregon, on the West Coast, and um, you know it's it's a very blue state, always has been. And then when I went to school in Texas, um, uh, Texas Southern University in Houston, I told people I was like, man, it was kind of refreshing to have in your face racism. And it was just people would just look crazy at me when I say that and I'm like no 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 you gotta understand like you know back home when we come home we really don't know who's cool and who's not you just kind of gotta hope that they don't turn on you at any given time I said but in the south you already know what the deal is so you know where to go where not to go what yeah. side of the street what's up what what neighborhoods to stay away from it's like it's pretty clear so there's you can't get caught off guard unless you're just really not paying attention and they were just like, nah, bro, I don't know about that. It's like, nah, it's actually re refreshing. Like, <laughs> yeah. And then also when it's blatant, it gives the black person the mindset more of to do something about it. Exactly. Because you see it with your five senses. That's what you know, mean. when it's, you know, kind of like systematic where you have a leader of theirs that doesn't outright and say that they're racist, but they're um, making laws and things like that that are racist that keep black people down then you have to wonder like which one is better i don't i don't want either but right. if i had to choose i would prefer to know what i'm dealing with <laughs> so i know what to do yep. you know <laughs> i'm with that 100 all right well, well tiki let's let's get into it um let's kind of talk about what brought us to this point um you and i don't know each other personally uh up until um, you viewing the, the Jane Elliott interview and you reached out and I just thought that was so awesome. Like I've, I've had folks reach out via YouTube, um, but you were the first person to reach out via email and just send out a, a sincere message um, re requesting to talk about certain topics 
that came up, you know, in the Jane Elliott interview. Um, and just, just the, way, the way that you reflected on certain parts of it, it really resonated with me because, you know, a lot of the hoopla around that interview was her statements on reparations, which wasn't even a question that I brought up. I didn't plan on talking about that, but she took it there and it went viral because of that. But me as not a formal educator, but like an educator at heart, and now I'm just doing it. And you as being an educator for the past 14 years, you caught some parts that were really close to, to my heart. Um, and, and actually, I don't want to say too much. I'll let you speak on that. The, the parts of the interview that really stuck out to you and that led you to reach out. Well, some of the parts, um, one of the parts when she was referring to um, the teachers, high expectations, white teachers going into black schools, teaching black children. Mm-hmm. And she she stated that, you know, um, you just have to have high expectations. She had high expectations of her um, students and they were successful, mm-hmm. referring to the academic growth. Right. And I, I don't agree with that at all. Um, as a, a black student being taught um, by predominantly white female teachers, it's very difficult for you to connect with them. And um, there was a study that was done um, that said that a black child that has a black teacher in kindergarten, just in kindergarten, is 18% more likely to enroll in college. So that was just in kindergarten. Um, Not to say that white female teachers cannot connect to black students, but their experiences in this society and the system are different. Their experiences are different. So in order to connect to someone, you kind of have to understand their experiences, you know? And I think that's why I think your class is very important for all teachers um, to get so they can understand our history and culture and experiences in this country since they're teaching black children. For sure, for sure. And, and really quickly before, because I want to touch on that, but I, I skipped over a, a basic step in <laughs> what I always do. So really quickly, tell the folks your, yourself who you are, where you're from, and what's a typical day in the life of Miss Tiki Davis? Okay. I am Tiki, and um, I've been teaching for 14 years. Um, I've taught predominantly in inner cities, mostly all, all of my experiences in inner cities, teaching Black children. Um, I chose to teach in the inner cities and um, black children. I'm from Philadelphia originally, um, born and raised, and um, I've taught in Philadelphia for most of my experience. And I've been teaching for 14 years. I've taught special ed and regular education, mm. a total of um, 14 years. And so I really enjoy it. It's my passion. It's been my passion since I was a child. So I'm excited. Um, to be here to discuss education because it's very close to my heart and so important to me. Word. That's awesome. So 14 years of experience. This is, this is great. Like I love being able to talk to folks that have the experience, not only the the passion and the desire, but just the years under their belt. So um, that's, that's amazing. Now um, piggybacking on what you said just a couple minutes ago. So um, yeah, with, with the course, you know, like I said, it's, it's a passion of mine. And as I'm going through it, I'm, I'm learning the information a little bit more better. And, and I'm um, from my students, 
I'm realizing the importance of the information. And one of my students, um, she was saying how, she, she was saying how when it comes to culture in America, when you talk about culture, that typically in your mind, it goes off as like a different group as in a non-white group. So we talk about culture, we're thinking African, we're thinking Hispanic or Latino, we're thinking um, Asian, whatever. We're, we're thinking, when we think of culture, Native Americans, we're thinking of other groups. Mm-hmm. But when we think of culture, we don't think of what is white culture because no one, no one describes what that is. And, and that's what I'm realizing with my, with my courses. When you talk about the evolution of racism, you're talking about the evolution of white culture, you know, because white wasn't a thing until they created, you know, whiteness mm-hmm. they started colonizing and started separating people based upon color. And so this is, you know, no one is taught what white culture is, just like the same way that no one is taught what racism is. You just grow up and you know what it is because mm-hmm. of society. But there is no class that you take, hey, this is how you be racist. Racism 101, racism 201. You just kind of infer based upon how things are happening. Exactly. So it's just like, exactly. man, how how much how how powerful is that that like it's never been taught, but we all know what it is. Yes. But exactly. we, have to, we have to be taught to be able to undo it because it's it's in every area of, of activity. And um, and that's economics, education, entertainment, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war. But today we're talking about education, right? Yes. And so when it comes to, you know, when, when Jane is talking about, you know, teaching little black boys and little black girls, and if, and if the, uh, you know, the white teacher would just have the right expectations and, and just be fair, then, you know, the black child will be successful as long as that positive influence is coming from that white teacher. Now I know that is part of the battle, but in, in your experience, um, what what more is there of of a because it's it's an uphill battle for a black child. So what else was missing from that part of the conversation? I mean she the the part that she touched on a little bit about the content. Mm. What is taught and how education is funded. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing um, talking about the how Okay, mm-hmm. a lot of her interviews, she kind of like, in my opinion, gaslighted our history mm. when it comes to slavery and okay. all the history after that. Mm. But when you think about redlining, if anybody knows anything about redlining and the effects it had on inner city neighborhoods, mm-hmm. and these inner city neighborhood um, schools are funded mostly by local property taxes. So when properties, are low in value, the property taxes are low and schools suffer, okay? So that's one thing um, that kind of stood out to me. The other thing is um, what is taught, you know, what is taught, the content. Um, she, she said something in her video, she said, you know, a good teacher doesn't follow the curriculum. A good <laughs> teacher doesn't follow the standards. She closes her door when the principal or supervisor walks out, she closes her door and teaches what she wants. Right. You know, maybe that was in the seventies, but in the, in the two thousands, I started teaching in 2006 
in the 2000s that's not the case you know for century we can't we can't get away with that no no we have standardized tests right, right. and every parent that has a child in third to eighth grade knows what a standardized test is yeah. i'm assuming um because they the schools really put a lot of focus on the standardized tests. Okay. okay so every state um, has a list of state standards, academic standards for reading, math, social studies, and science. There are also common core standards for the whole United States. Most states are um, adopting the common core standards. So these standards teachers have to teach each week, you know, they teach a class. Mm -hmm. These standards are connected to the standardized tests, mm -hmm. okay? The standardized tests are created by Pearson, a company that is um, in London, okay? Mm -hmm. And yes, it's in London, and they also create the curriculum resources for the school districts and teachers to use. Mm -hmm. So they, say they create the standardized tests, and they create the curriculum resources for them to implement the standards. So the students can score a certain school on a standardized test. Yes. So this, this company sells both curriculum and standardized tests. For sure. I mean, I, I can see that because, you know, my son, um, even before COVID hit, um, when he was in fifth grade, me and my wife already said that we were going to homeschool him for middle school, or at least try it out for sixth grade. But um, we just, the, the options the, for middle schools in our area, um, they just weren't really good. They all tested very poorly. And people that worked in those schools said, if you can do it, don't send your kid here. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we've done a private school thing. Uh, we put them in a charter school, which was really great. But like, we weren't going back to private, not trying to pay all that, that money. And then I was just like, man, I could, I could do better myself as far as educating my son. But basically he's enrolled in, something called Connections Academy. So it's basically an online public school, right? Okay. So a, a majority of his content or his content, his classwork comes from Pearson. So <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. And like some of the stuff that they teach him, like the math is fine, the uh, language arts is fine. But then when they get to the social studies, it gets, you know, is still antiquated. And I'm like, man, mm -hmm. he's still giving us this terrible information, mm -hmm. outdated information that we know, like you can just Google that stuff and know that it's not right. But that's Pearson. That's the, that's exactly. the system. And they're they're funding or they're they're giving us all this information because that's what the United States is they've decided to partner with them for whatever reason. So I don't know. Wow. I don't know why you would partner with um, a, a company in London for cook curriculum and resources. Wow. You know, that's what we use to implement, um, to teach the students, to implement the lessons. Um, so with, with the company Pearson, they, like I said, they create the tests and they create the curriculum resources. So five years ago, um, a lot of students went from proficient to basic and below basic. They mm -hmm. failed the tests mm -hmm. and school districts ran out to buy this curriculum resource from Pearson called Envision, Math Envision, because they, a lot of them failed the math tests. Mm -hmm. And so basically what happened, Pearson made the test more difficult. And then the next, the following year sold them. And, and I don't know if parents, whoever's listening, if they have kids who have 
um, Envision Math and sold them Envision Math. So our our black children are being um, taken advantage of. Um, so you saying they 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 have the basic math like they already have the curriculum, and then they made the test harder, so they created a problem, created a solution in another product, and sold that product. Okay, so they're just doubling up. Okay, yeah, that's we've been living in a system, right? Oh. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's a micro example of, of, you know, of what we've been living. So, um, yeah. So that's been happening. Also, like you said, with the social studies, mm-hmm. you know, I know my daughter during quarantine, I was able to look more at her classwork online and a lot of the content she's in seventh grade and a lot of the content was inauthentic. It was not the truth. Yeah. You know, um, they did not tell the truth about our culture and our history. Yeah. I asked my daughter, I said, do you enjoy this? She said, I just get the work done. She's a good student. And I said, well, you should enjoy what you're learning. And, and I said, did you know they were teaching her some, something about Greek, Greek culture and some kind of Greek poem? And I told her about the Asian, Egypt, the Asian Egyptians. And I said, did you know they got a lot of their stuff from them? And she was like, I didn't know. I thought they were light skinned. I'm like, oh gosh, we got to get oh. you out of the school. <laughs> what am I doing? Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, she, you know, and, and this is considered a good school district. Yeah. Like what people, parents look for. That really opened my eyes too. Cause I teach younger children, um, like from K to third. So a lot of the content I'm not teaching, yeah. you know, social studies content, but I really opened my eyes to what our children are learning and what they are not learning. You know, you talk about um, little children, characters and stories, Cinderella, you know, what we grew up on, you know, seeing those characters. Now they um, are doing animal characters where it really doesn't show their experiences. The characters don't look like them. They're not animals, you know, um, also just the way they implement strategies for our children in the classroom. You know, um, it's a lot of, you know, not learning through plays, a lot of sitting down, things like that for younger children. That's not good either. That, that was good. Um, one thing I do want to transition, I want to change gears a little bit to go from, um, you know, what is being taught because that's that's one component, you know, of, of the system and we have to deal with that. But also another part of the system is who is teaching it? Now, me, I remember as a, as a black boy growing up, I was fortunate to have some really good teachers in elementary school. And I think that especially my kindergarten teacher, um, she was she was white. But I don't, she wasn't like, you know how you, she wasn't white, white. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know what she was like. She's kind of darker. I don't, I don't know if she's it, Italian mixed with something else. Like she's darker. Dark, <laughs> dark curly hair. Like she wasn't like, uh, if we're, if we're talking like um, social studies, she wasn't Anglo-Saxon white. Right. So she was, she was different, but she was extremely cool. And she had genuine love for everybody. And she's one of those teachers that I'm still in contact with. Oh, wonderful. Um, a lot of her students, she she has always followed her students in whatever endeavor. And um, like, she'll go visit them in high school. Um, her her husband, he does uh, film and, and uh, photography. So he was actually the, pho- the photographer at my, at my wedding, <laughs> you know? Oh, okay, so, wonderful. Um, 
And so she's just one of those teachers. Like I remember I was, I went to go watch my, um, my nephew play football. It was like state championship. And she was there filming somebody on his team because he was in her kindergarten class and she'd been retired for like 15 years, but she just fought. She just truly loves everybody. So I had a great kindergarten teacher. Um, that was a white woman. And then um, I had a great third and fourth grade teacher, Miss Johnson. She was a black woman um, and she was and she was really cool. And then in middle school, I'll say I had two pretty bad experiences with with white teachers, um, even though it was like the theme of having a white teacher, especially as a, as a black boy, you always felt like you were ostracized. You always felt like you were under a microscope. I could always tell that I was being um, disciplined a little bit harder than other kids in the class. And it was simply because I was black because we were doing the same thing. Um, but it was like, the it was first grade. I had a teacher that went really hard on me and my parents had to switch me out and put me in a, another class. And it happened to be a black woman. that was a first grade teacher, but like, that was the issue. In fifth grade, I had a white woman teacher that, you know, I would get in trouble for silly stuff. I literally got in trouble one time because um, all the kids, I forgot about this. My dad told me this story as I got older and my son was having problems in, in school, but it wasn't really that big of a deal. But basically um, the story that he told me that when I was in fifth grade, my teacher called him and I was basically in trouble because I was playing, we were all playing basketball at recess. And I was like, you know what? I think we should play football, y'all. Let's, let's go play football. And so everybody on the basketball court stopped playing basketball and we all played football. And she called my dad and said, you know, what? I don't I don't like how Emmanuel has so much influence over all the kids. And I feel like he's telling them what to do. And um, I don't but we just need to strategize and find a way that he doesn't tell everybody what to do and influence their recess. I think everybody should have their own. So like he was so but that was like one of many nitpicky type of things. And so it got to the point where we had so many issues with that white woman just getting mad at me for like silly stuff. And that wasn't even the silliest. That was just the one that I remember, the story that I remember. It got so bad that my my, my dad took me out of that school because they wouldn't let me transfer to another class. And he put me in a different school in fifth grade. And then the other school that I went to in seventh grade, Miss Stockard, I don't I don't care. I'll put your name out there. Miss Stockard, she was the <laughs> worst teacher. Just white woman just yelled at me all the time. Um, she she ostracized me and my friends. Anything that that black that the black boys did. That was just basic black culture. If we had on a headband, uh, you got to take that off. That's gang related. If you had one pants leg rolled up, mm -mm, you got to you got to unroll your pants leg. That's gang related. Everything that black boys did, she said that it was gang related. So imagine trying to and I did good in school regardless, but everybody didn't do good under those situations. And so it's not also it's not only what is taught, but who is teaching it and and what lens are they seeing the kids through and, and how do the kids you know, react to that and how do they persevere through that? So uh, I know that's a lot, <laughs> but <laughs> about your experience and then, you know, your advice to those, you know, white teachers or just non-black teachers that are teaching black kids and might deal with um, unconscious bias that, you're, that they're just not really aware of. Wow, let me just say your your experience on the schoolyard is very interesting to me with the... <laughs> That was saying a lot about you as a leader when you were young. Yeah. And as a teacher, that's how I would have looked at it. But, um, 
You know, well, let me just say this first. Um, I think we have to look at how the media portrays Black people. That is up against us, you know, our children when they go to school and they're with white female teachers. We also um, have to look at their own racism that lies within themselves. And we know that exists, okay? Now, um, my experiences with um, observing white teachers with black children, okay? Um, especially black boys. They are in general, um, my experience of some of the teachers, they are in general more, they're more, let me see, they're a little tougher with the black boys. They don't get away with a lot of stuff. Um, the expectations, low expectations, um, it's a lot of, they can't, they're not going to be able to. Um, also that I noticed within the school, now, and that's not the school I'm working in now, I just started this school. But in my past years, um, I noticed that I've had students, Black boys, who could have been authors, illustrators, um, all different type of skills and gifts that they showed in the class. But in the school, it's seen that they only um, focused on sports. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the boys were into sports. So I think when it comes to female white teachers, um, what my experience, I've seen a lot of low expectations. So they go into the classroom having this preconceived notion about the black child and they teach as such. You know, any conversation I have, anything that was um, maybe on a higher level for them, the students to do anything that maybe put the students in a leadership position, any black history, cultural event that I wanted to have, it always was kind of shown. And um, students were, it was said that students could not do it. They can't, they can't, they can't. They're not gonna be able to do this. I'm like, well, we didn't try. How do you know? You know, so um, from the jump, huh? Yeah, so that's what I see. And I also see um, some that don't care. I mean, they just, I mean, you know, they just don't care, you know. But because you're black doesn't mean that you're going to be a good teacher either, you know. That part. So, but I think um, when it comes to black children having um, black teachers is very important is very important. There has been so much research done that says that black children do much more better in school academically when they have a black teacher. And let's say a black effective teacher, not someone just, you know, comes and like, I don't care, I'm just gonna get paid. Someone who's really, who cares, who wants them to be successful. That's real. And so like, that makes me think of my college experience. Um, and so in, in high school, I did okay. You know, I, I barely graduated. I had a 3.01, so I just barely had a 3.0. But when I went to college, once again, Texas Southern University, HBCU in Houston, Texas, um, I had a 3.4. And it was like a smooth 3.4. Like I could have did better, but I just kind of let things slip at the end because I was I was working a lot. <laughs> so trying to work and take, you know, 18 to 21 hours of, of classes, it was it was tough working 30 yeah. hours a week doing that. So my, my grades slipped a little bit. But um the part of it that was so great was that I had teachers, I had professors 
that really cared about my success. Right. And I had, and I wasn't, like I said, I had a, you know, my, my kindergarten teacher. So five years old, I had a third and fourth grade teacher. So what, uh, nine and 10 years old, I had, I had a good teacher and a few other good teachers here and there, you know, I, you know, probably one, two solid teachers in high school that I, that I remember one of them that I I'm still in contact with another one. If I, if I knew how to get in contact with her, I would holler at her cause she was really nice. But mm-hmm. other than that, like it wasn't a consistent theme in my life, but I was fortunate to have what I had, but then going to an HBCU and a solid HBCU at that man and having my professors really care about my success and really care about the school and, and, you know, who we were going to be, you know, as we graduated, as we become alumni, contributing back to the school and just contributing to society, like they had that in mind, like they knew that we were going to be great and they knew that we were going to do, do good things. And so because they knew that they were doing all that they could to make sure that we got what we needed. Not I, I specifically remember like math is not my strong suit. Right. And so I, I specifically remember being in accounting. Don't remember his name, but my accounting professor, I was struggling and I just I just couldn't get it. You know, I couldn't get it right. And I had a C at the midterm and he came up to me and said, hey, brother, look, I know you're struggling with this, but trust me, I'm going to make sure that you get everything that you need and we're going to get you at least to a B. So don't ever feel like you can't ask me a question. I'm going to make sure you're successful. All right. This this is TSU. You know, we ain't going to put you out here, you know, not equipped. And so he was just he took time out and I wasn't asking for it, but he knew I was struggling. But, but that was like one major experience. But like there were other times like that. So many times where I could go to professors after hours and they really cared, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it was just like, yo, this is crazy. It, was, it blew my mind, you know. And so to have that, I I can only imagine the the group of people that we would be in America if we had that like yes. on a consistent basis. Like yeah. every teacher, every other class. And now once again, just because you black don't mean that you're gonna be a good teacher. No. You know? Because everybody is not cut from the same cloth. But still though, to be able to have the opportunity to have those experiences. Yes. You know, we've been robbed of that opportunity. Yes. Just because of systematic racism. So it's yeah. yeah. But that's a, that's a really interesting point that you made and connecting it to, you know, um, what Jing Elliott said about teachers, you know, having caring and, but mm-hmm. that's not what I see. You know, I don't, you know, that's not what I see in the, in the classroom with the teachers. Mm-hmm. I don't see a lot of teachers like your kindergarten teacher. Yeah. I have not experienced. Oh yeah. She's a, she's a rare breed. It, it gets no better than Nancy, man. Shout out to Nancy. Hassan. Yeah. She's, she's the best for sure. I have not experienced that um, as far as working with other um, female white teachers. Yeah. I have experienced the opposite, unfortunately. Yeah. You know? So kindergarten is a really, really, you know, the younger years are really, really important for our children, for all of us, for humans, you know, for sure. that's our foundation. And if you have that, like what you experienced in um, university, if we had that in elementary, you know, just in elementary, let's say K through fifth, Mm-hmm. You know, our children would be more nurtured. Well, let me just say, this is not easy for the teachers either. They set it up. The system is set up that the teachers overwork, underpaid, mm. you know, not supported. All accountability is on the teacher. No accountability on anyone else. Mm. Now, um, I understand our, our families, our Black families are struggling right. to function. 
mm-hmm. you know, a lot of us. So I understand them having that accountability or having education as a priority is challenging for some of them because they're just trying to survive. Right. You know, and so that's the struggle for a teacher who comes in caring. Mm-hmm. That's the struggle because you need that support from the family unit to educate the child. Yeah. You know? So unfortunately, you know, one thing that this pandemic has showed us is that we have put too much, we have relied too much on the system. Um, when I say like the edu- the system, the educational system, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, what's been heaped upon, and you you know this, I didn't know it until now, but you know it, like parents, <laughs> and I'm and I'm I'm guilty, so I, I am parents, right? So mm-hmm. parents, we have we have given our children over to educators to borderline raise our children for yes. us. And we should be teaching them a lot more than what we do. But, but we've given that over to the school system. So the education system is um is funded to teach our kids to watch our kids after school, to basically babysit, to feed our kids. Yes. Even to put them to bed. I was going to text a student and say, go to bed. Because every time they come, <laughs> I'm that mama, black mama teacher, that yeah. auntie. I'm like that auntie they don't want to hear from. Right. But um, I was going to text them. I said, no, let me just go to, I said, I text my assistant. I said, what, what time do you think I should text them? Because he's staying up all night playing the game, and I'm like, go to bed. And in the morning, he can't even function. Right. So, yeah, yeah, that's a lot. And that's draining. You have your own families, right. you know. So, you know, the teachers that are out there that's trying to make a difference, mm-hmm. that are, you know, want to make a difference with our children, it's difficult. Can you can you talk about how the system is funded? Because um, I forgot what show... What show I was watching on TV, but it was a show about, it was like a principal and he was, it was a young principal, maybe in like New Orleans. And, you know, the the school system down there, you talked about property taxes. And if you're in a redlined district and, um, you know, just that, that area has, doesn't have a lot of tax revenue. So that means the schools are in bad shape. And so that means the teachers aren't necessarily going to be getting paid what they would like to be getting paid because there's not enough money in the district. And so it was just it was a show about a a principal and he was trying to save this school and save these kids. But they couldn't keep teachers. But the teachers that they would take on, it would be like the young, you know, white teachers that were fresh out of college. But they could afford to take that job because they had like some type of nest egg or they have family support where like the job wasn't the, their main source of livelihood. Mm-hmm. Tell me about like more, give me more uh, insight into like the funding and how that affects not only, you know, the amount of folks that want to go into education because they, especially black folks where it's like, if that's my main source of income, I can't do it or, mm-hmm. or they don't believe in it. Or it's just like, um, so it, it, it doesn't attract us as much. And also just how the, the funding kind of hinders what you all can do, you know, yes. in, in your profession. Very good questions. <laughs> uh, well, 
first with the funding, um, schools are funded through federal, state, and property taxes. Okay. Federal gives no more than 10%. Mm. State kind of gives some money from here and there, but it kind of governs. They, the state governs the, the money. And then local property taxes, the majority of the money, um, local property taxes. And um, a lot of schools, first of all, attracting black men to education, okay? Mm. A lot of schools in inner cities don't have the money because of the local property taxes, okay? So trying to attract a black man um, or black teacher or black teacher assistant to education is tough because they don't get paid a lot. We don't get paid a lot. Um, you can have a degree that's, you know, a doctorate degree. You still can hit this. You only hit this level. Mm. And that's because of how it's funded. Mm -hmm. You know, school districts in the inner cities, the teachers get less money every year. The school districts in the same state, in the suburbs, the teachers get more money. In addition to that, um, as far as the money is concerned, um, I forgot my thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I forgot my thought. Oh, I forgot my thought. You're talking about the, <sighs> the district, the state? You asked me a good question that I was trying to answer. So I, I asked about, you know, the the way the funding is set up, you know, who so how the how the education system is is funded and okay, how, well, certain right. certain white teachers can take the jobs because it might not be their main source of income. Yes. But maybe it might not attract as many black teachers. And then also just with those funds, with those lack of funds, how it hinders you guys from doing the best possible job. Okay. All right. Can you answer ask the question again? No or doubt. Or record it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So um well, one thing, one thing that affects um, the classroom is the funding, um, is classroom size. That's a big problem. Um, teachers, they don't hire enough teachers for school. They can't because they don't have the money. So what they do is they pack up a classroom. So you will have 30 kids. I mean, one year we had like 30 some kids in one classroom, second graders, first graders. You know, and then you have some kids within that classroom who have disabilities or they may have come from different traumatic experiences. So it is one teacher for all these 30 some little kids. They want you to differentiate. They want you to teach on each re reading level. You can have 30 some kids with five different reading levels. Mm -hmm. So you can have a child in second, or you can have a second grade class, one child, uh, five children on a kindergarten level. 10 of them on a secondary level, and then the rest on first grade level. Mm -hmm. And then you're supposed to meet everybody's needs. That doesn't make sense. And That's they do that because of the funding, because they don't have, a, they don't have enough money to buy teachers, to mm -hmm. buy teachers. Mm -hmm. So um, that's one effect. And then when you talk about um, attracting black men, because we need black men in education, black teachers and black teacher assistants, black principals, male principals, Teachers don't get paid much at all. Uh, we have to fight for raises. We have to fight through our unions for raises. Um, our benefits, some of us have to pay for our benefits. So a black man who has to say, support a family, okay, may not want to go into that position for a little bit money, mm -hmm. you know? So um, education needs to be much more funded. 
you know, just the fact off of, you know, when Jane Elliott talked about the reparations, just the fact on how redlining has affected um, our black neighborhoods, that on that alone, we should get some reparations because we can, that's a direct link. It's, it's funny because early in that, in the interview, she held up that book, The Color of Law. So I, know. <laughs> and I, I haven't read that book. I've watched videos on it, but I haven't read it in depth. But from what I know about it, it talks specifically about redlining and what it's done to create wealth in the suburbs versus and extract, you know, whatever resources that were in the cities. And so she should know firsthand about what, you know, what yeah. that has done to us. And so why wouldn't we be doing any type of reparations and why would we have to wait in line like we can all be paid out. Like these problems need to be reconciled some way or another, you know? It just almost seemed like she had it, the thought of it, or maybe she had the discussion with someone else. And then all of a sudden it just came out because you didn't ask her that question. That was very interesting. It seemed like she had that thought. And because you asked those questions, it just came out. Well, what, what, what I attributed to is, um, you know, what Neely Fuller has instructed us to do in his book, The United Independent Compensatory Code System Concept. And so when, when having a conversation about racism, you don't always necessarily have to call out racism for what it is. Um, you can speak about justice. And so I was speaking to her specifically about justice and about reconciliation because, you know, what, what Jane does conveniently, and a lot of people, I hate to say it, but they fall for it and think that it's, you know, they clap for it and they feel all good about it, is that she talks about how we're all one race and race is made up and it's arbitrary. And if we just drop the whole race thing, then we can move on. I partly agree because it's true. Race is a social construct. It's arbitrary. It was made up. It's a modern idea. It's not scientific. It's fake. Mm -hmm. Yes, race is fake. Okay. Yeah. But ethnicity and lineage is not fake. And so what the Europeans have done, whether they're the Portuguese, whether they're the Dutch, the British, the French, whoever you want to call it, you know, like they have done, they have committed crimes against humanity and they have created an economic disparity. And so how do we produce justice for that? So I kept talking about how do we produce justice? How do we reconcile that for 500 years of subjugation, exploitation, and extermination of non-white people. How do we fix that? You know, <laughs> about, you know, I'm talking about what Europeans did to non-Europeans. Now I'm not talking about white and black. I'm just talking about Europe. So yeah. what is, what, exactly. y'all, you may not be, you may not call yourself white, but you're still European. So now what are Europeans gonna do? And so I kept asking about that justice. And I think that was just like, well, I, I guess we could talk about reparation, but if, but if we're going to talk about that, but I, that, I, I put I put her mind in that category because I wasn't going to let her escape it and get away with saying, oh well, you can't call me white because I don't identify as white. You don't have to, but you're still European, and your yes. your people still have done a, a number on the world. So there's yeah, why got to pay for that? Like Somehow, you said, disparity. I mean, what we 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 just supposed to forget about the disparity? Right. You know um, that it created. Right. You know, especially we talk about education in every part, but in education as well, you know, the disparity. You can't just forget about that. Right. You have to pay catch up, you know, no. <laughs> and it's like, you know, when it when it comes to education or when it comes to the system, one thing that I'm noticing is that um, 
we aren't whether whether one would like to accept it or agree with it or not what i believe is that we are living in a system of global racism global white supremacy and typically the way that things play out systematically is whatever whatever category you're in or whatever you know someone says that they're doing in the system it's the opposite right and so when when we talk about uh the system of education it's the, it's literally like miseducating us <laughs> as he was just right? saying it is so like the, the educational system is bent on giving us improper information yes right like it has been proven and, and debunked like so many facts especially when it comes to the social and the political type things um our the history of america has been watered down yes whitewashed and so it's literally the system of miseducation is we're systematically being miseducated when it comes to you know the the justice system it's literally a system of injustice yes the system of double standards social and legal double standards that's what racism racism is and so we're going through this crisis and this upheaval in america and george floyd amart arbery brianna taylor you know jacob blake who, whoever you want to name I'm, i could run out of names very actually i couldn't i could keep going i got 50 names i could run off right but all of this all these uprisings and all this unrest is because there is a system of injustice that has been consistent across the board and so why would there even be a talk about reparations for natives or or black americans because they've been systematically treated unjustly exactly. <laughs> right and so everything that is 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 the opposite when it comes it's to opposite and That's so good, when did you make that um observation or i can't I, I can't take credit for that observation um i would say the first time i heard a notion of that was dr amos wilson i don't remember what lecture it was but i've, I've heard him refer to um the system of of justice as a system of injustice because, but then I just started applying it to other systems. Oh, so okay. I got, okay. I got my Nilly Fuller brain going. I was like, all right. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so, the, so the system of economics, you know, what, what we're taught, what we're taught and economically in our education system, we've been miseducated. We haven't been educated properly for one, and we haven't been proper, properly educated on economics. Yes. Right. We're, we're, what we're told about economics is get a job. Yep. Buy a house, buy a car. We're taught to finance and we're taught that through entertainment, through commercials. And so we're entertained and in the way that we're entertained, we're being um, influenced to make bad economic decisions and put ourselves in debt. <laughs> yeah. Right? Nobody's teaching us how to balance a budget. No one's teaching us how to do taxes. No one's teaching us how to invest all the important economic things that people that are in the finance and economic sectors, that's what they're doing to get their riches, but we're never taught how to get rich and how to, you know, have that financial, the proper financial literacy that we, that we need because we live in a system of racism, a system it's of all by design. Exactly. It's all, it's all by design. You can easily teach that in, in elementary school, profit, fundraising. You can do all that kind of stuff yeah. in elementary school. Yeah. And they can implement that. They can get a curriculum for that and, and pay lots of money for that, but they right. don't. But the but the system would be opposed to that. Exactly. That's I mean, the, those, those that run the system. You know, mm -hmm. and how to create your own and how to 
sell and produce and profit and all that. You know, you won't be dependent on their system. Right. Because it's it yeah, too much like right. <laughs> the, it comes down to the bottom line for somebody else, but not for us, right? So. Exactly. It's, we're working. That's all we're doing right now. But I'm glad there's some brothers and sisters out here who are waking up and who are starting their own. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's necessary. and it's But it's a beautiful thing, like you said, to see folks kind of change course. And something like this, you know, a, a pandemic or um, any type of like, economic depression or shortage of, of jobs, it is always a time that, um, you know, businesses kind of just spring up out of that because it's, you're almost forced to rely on your own talents as opposed to relying on someone else, you know, to give you a, a easier task and, and get paid for it. So, yeah. um, you know, there's, there's a, there's a blessing in, in the curse of all this stuff, but still though, uh, we need, like you said in the beginning, we need system, systematic change, not just, symbolic change here and there exactly so um but before we before we take off and get out of here tell me about you know your your proudest moment as a teacher and and just what that you know what that does for you just to be able to pour into the lives of these children wow i had so many um the children i um teach have taught uh, amazing you know, they had a lot of trauma in their lives, um, more trauma than I. I grew up in the inner city, but more trauma than I did. Mm -hmm. And they're just amazing. Um, I would have to think. Let me think. Take your time. Take your time. Hmm. Proudest moment. Hmm. Oh, I know. Okay. This, this young lady, this was in 2000. I had a lot of proud moments, but um, this was in 2000 and I think it was 2006 when I first started teaching. No, 2007. It was 2007. Mm -hmm. and I had this young, um, it was second grade, and I had this girl in my class, and she was a very dark-skinned little girl. Now, I know what I know about our community, and she was very sad and always very quiet mm -hmm. and she didn't believe in herself mm -hmm. um she was not good with writing or reading um she was in second grade but was like on a kindergarten level and but what i know about our community when it comes to skin color we have a lot of issues around that colorism I, is, is a problem for sure yes and i could tell she had self-esteem issues and um she couldn't write and every day um I would sit next to her. I would tell her to sit next to me and I would help her in her writing, help her in her writing. And then I would talk to her. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, talk to her, ask her how she's doing, try to um, connect to her. And then um, one day, well, this is my proudest moment as far as academics, okay? One, one day, um, probably months later, um, her, her reading and writing levels went up from kindergarten up to the end of second grade level. Mm. And um, I just used to see, you know, I had the other class as kids, but I had her. And I noticed that her self-esteem changed. She was much more confident. I think when she left that class. Now me as a teacher um, of black children, um, I chose to go and teach black children. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of times it's difficult because of the system 
I wanted to change the world, but sometimes I, I see that I can't, you know, and that hurts me, you know. Um, so dealing with kids like her and seeing growth, whether it's academic or more confidence or um, better friendships, more social um, ability to socialize, that makes me proud and happy because that's what I came into this for. I don't know where she is today, but um, yes. you know Miss Davis. Yeah, she, she never <laughs> gonna, out to me. <laughs> she's never going to forget you, though, you know? <laughs> and, that's, and that's something that, you know, you can take with you. And at any time, like, that's a beautiful story to just even cheer yourself up. When things are going hard, you just think of your, your student that you made an impact on and just know that you're doing the right thing. So that's, yeah. that's a beautiful. That's a beautiful story. Yes. Well, Tiki, I'm going to wrap up every episode with uh, the Fab Five, five questions that I ask everybody. So you ready for that? Yes. <laughs> okay, wonderful. So first question is a two-part question. Um, the first part is, what is your favorite genre of music? I would say R&B or R&B. neo-soul, whatever neo-soul. <laughs> okay, okay. So what artist or album made you fall in love with Neo Soul slash R&B? Um, Lauren Hill. Lauren Hill? She's like a hip hop, I guess, um, slash Neo Soul. Yeah, Her um, Unplug album on MTV. The Unplug. Not yeah. the not the miseducation, but the Unplug, huh? Yes. Yeah. Now that, that Unplug is mad soulful. That's, that's what's up. Um, question number two. When you feel overwhelmed, how do you de-stress? Meditate. Meditate. Okay. In quiet, dark space with candles. <laughs> mm. You meditate in the shower? No. <laughs> you, could, you could try that. That's a that's the that's dope. Really? <laughs> oh man. Medi- meditation in the shower, especially like when it's cold outside, you got the hot water. I'm gonna try that. <laughs> the bathroom is kind of cold, but that water is hitting you and do you use like certain type of music instrumentals in the background? No. Oh, no. oh man, you gotta see. You gotta set the vibe. You know what I mean? You gotta but, send me that track you was telling me about. Remember? Oh yeah, I'll, I'll send that to you. I send that. Yeah. To you. Yeah. 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 For sure. But that's that's me all day. Well, not necessarily um, in the in the shower with the candles on. But but my, my wife she she hit me to that because she does that. Not necessarily with the music, but like with the candles. Yes. Okay, that's a vibe. And I throw on the right music. I was like, okay, we we really, you know what I mean? We good. So um, it's much, but y'all, easier, see, you know. For sure. <laughs> now nah, meditation. I started meditating. I got hip to it like I don't know, three four years ago. Probably like four years ago, and it changed my life. Um, yeah. And so it really helped me calm down. It helped me focus. Yeah. And I'm that type of person. Like, it's hard for me to calm down and go to sleep at night. Like, I will if if I don't do anything to help myself go to sleep, I could easily stay up until three o'clock every oh, night. Wow. You know what I mean? And that's I'll, that learning. I'll, I think that's because that's how I am. When your brain is churning and you're learning, you're learning, you're educating. And I think man. that's what that is. <laughs> Pro- probably so, because I'll be like that. Steve, I thought I would like maybe when I get older, I wouldn't be on that. No, I'm still on that. 35 going on 36, still on that type of time. So I need it. But if I meditate at any point in time, if I meditate, um, especially like when, you know, when the sun is down, 
then mm-hmm. I can calm my body down in about 30 minutes and then go to sleep and get a good night's sleep if I if I focus on it, you know. So that has helped me sleep better as an adult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, question number three. If you had your choice of a celebrity life coach, who would it be and why? Iyama Vantai. Iyama, mm, okay. Because, yeah, she has a lot of wisdom. She's from, mm. I think she's from Brooklyn or she's from Philly. Okay. I think um, she's, she has a lot of wisdom and she's, she's been through hard, hard times in her life. Mm-hmm. And so she has the experience. So I would love for her to be my life coach. <laughs> And that's that's what she did. That's what her TV show was about, right? It was life coaching. Yeah, well, um, fix my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah fix my life. Yeah, right. yeah. So she helps. She did a lot of wonderful things with black families. Yeah. Did you see those episodes uh, with black men? Oh um, yeah. Yeah, and all that. So I really I like that, and I think yeah. it's necessary for our community. Yeah, no, she's she's solid. She would be a great yeah. great life coach for sure. Um, question number four, if you woke up tomorrow and found out that you hit the lottery for a hundred million dollars, how would you spend your time and your money from that day forward? I would create a school and okay. I would create some businesses. Mm. Yeah. What type of school are you making? Afrocentric school. <laughs> okay. School that teaches our content, um, learning to play things like that for younger children uh, when it comes to middle school, service learning projects, getting involved in the community. Yeah. Um, if I had like a school up from kindergarten to middle school, that's how I would, would be a lot of hands-on current events, projects and activities that students would be involved in. So it'd be a lot of money. I'd spend a lot of money and create for a lot sure. of partners. <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's, yeah. that's, a great, that's a great goal to have. And that's something that you can start doing, you know, start working on right now. Somehow, somewhere, you can make it happen. I am. I'm trying to write the curriculum. And then that's why I want to take your class, because I don't have all the content in a consistent manner, you know. Oh, wow. um, and um, I've been looking for that. So I've been looking for that. And because I have it here and there and there and there. And I've been taking notes. But I need to know more so I can give it to my students, you know. Sure. Yep, I got you on that. Yeah. For sure. And um, man, I, I had a thought. Oh, Are you froze? Said something. You're, oh, here you um, go. <laughs> huh? I, I'll say your pictures. No, nah, I'm I'm over here thinking. <laughs> um, man, you said something and it and it sparked a thought in me, and now I cannot I cannot recapture it. Was it about the school? Yeah, I do. Hopefully, I do. It might have been about the school, Afrocentric. Service learning. The learning part. So tell me about your view on what you're talking about, like experiential learning, because I feel like this sit down at a computer or sit down at a desk and just absorb information and take a quiz and take a test. I know we have standardized tests and we have this what I it, what it's, what seems to me to be like a Eurocentric model of, of learning, but tell me about how important, in your view, is the experiential learning and getting out and doing things as opposed to someone telling you something or you reading it and regurgitating it. 
Yes. Well, um, well, first, learning the, through play, experiential learning, um, mm-hmm. learning through play. Yeah. Um, when young children um, first enter school and they're set at a desk and they're expected to learn from a teacher standing up there, their brains are not ready for that type of structured. <laughs> That's activity. a fact. But when you have all these disabilities that are the, our children, our black children are being pushed into special ed for all, with all these disabilities, identify them as, you know, um, ADHD, things like that. They, their brains, you know, there was a study done. um, It's it's called choice theory. It's a theory of some, of a man um, who's in education. Mm -hmm. And he said that um, children are not um, able or ready to learn structured phonics they're able they're not ready to learn structured phonics until age eight or nine wow because their brains are wired as though their brains needs to practice and experience motor skills Mm. once they experience those motor skills that's learning through play experiencing you know learning through Mm hands-on their brain pathways for structured phonics Mm. okay opens up so it's like a strategic you know first is motor skills and then it's you know the structured learning right right now when you think about middle school you know you play they're ready to learn structured you know sitting down academics but our children i mean children in general people in general learn better with hands-on you know if you experience it you're using your five senses using your sight your 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 hearing all your five senses to experience that now, if you're just sitting and you're sitting at a, at a desk and the teacher is talking, you're, you're seeing and you're listening, if you're listening, probably not. <laughs> you're right. listening and you're Check seeing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But you're not, you, your whole body, when we're talking about touch, we're talking about your whole body. Touch mm-hmm. sense. Touch is your whole body. So your whole body experiencing that. So learning through play, um, service learning projects, such as um, projects that for middle schoolers that maybe talk about pr- police pr- brutality, but connected to academics, those mm-hmm. type of experiences, um, experiencing how to um, create profit, fundraisers, things like that. So students can learn profit, how to manage money, how to, you know, what is the first step of creating um, a business? You know, for mm-hmm. students who are business minded or students who like to work with their hands, robotics, things like that. Our schools don't have none of that. They don't even have mm-hmm. the money for that. They don't even have music programs. You know, I've met so many kids who are so gifted in um, art and music and um, writing authors, and they don't have those programs for them. So um, experience is everything. Experience is everything. Anytime I teach a child anything, if I don't give them hands-on manipulatives, they'll forget it like this. But if they experience, for example, the math problem with using math manipulatives, mm. they will remember it the next day for the next lesson. You know, so experience is everything. Our children are they are being taught is the test, and, and nothing against the teachers. They're just trying to make it make it day by day, but they're being taught to that test that's created by Pearson that the curriculum resources created and sold by mm-hmm. Pearson and they're getting all the money while our ch- children drop out or are disinterested 
or frustrated in school. So um, experience is everything. So our schools, in addition to the content they're teaching black children, like I said earlier, they need to change the strategies they use to teach black children. Do we need more project-based learning, more service learning, more learning through play? Mm-hmm. You know, and our black boys wouldn't be thrown in, in special ed because they're children. They want to jump up and, and be a little hyper, you know? And, it's, and it, it speaks to... Um, it speaks to just the diversity among people, right? Like going back to Jane, we, we may be one human race, you know, we may be, you know, that, that is the case for the most part, but we're not all the same, Mm -hmm. you know, culturally we are different. And even physiologically, if we keep it a buck, we are different. And yeah. Even even our our consciousness, like it, it think like it's there are differences. There are distinct differences, and it's okay. And so we have to, or we should be teaching to those differences, to those strengths, and to those yeah. you know. And so if someone isn't, and that's why I typically like in a in a sit down setting, you know, girls typically do better than boys, but like in a in a motor you know, uh, sports or just playing out on, you know, something like that, some type of game, motor skills, a boy is going to be better. Similar to the reason why boys are are um, more drawn to video games as opposed to girls. It's just, just even, not even like, you know, culturally, it's just like boys versus girls. Like mm-hmm. the brains just operate in a, in a different fashion and that's okay. Unfortunately, video games have not been valued. <laughs> and so therefore, if you play video games, you've been you, you're seen as wasting time. But mm-hmm. now that gaming is like a, a serious part of the future and virtual reality is going to be a big part of business and learning and just, just our own, just natural everyday experience. Mm-hmm. Now gaming is put on a pedestal. So now all those boys that were considered, you know, bad students or whatever the case might be, they're making six figures in gaming, <laughs> creating games and playing games, you know? And so, um, but the thing about those games is a lot of my students play those games with our children. They're going to advertise them to our children. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be, the, they're not going to advertise them to be the creators. Right. That part. We have to provide those opportunities for our children. If we want them to be, I know, I don't know too much about computers, but like as far as how they're created, but I know I heard something about coding. Mm-hmm. I know in some school district, they're opening up like virtual coding classes. Yep. And but see, are our children going to be exposed or are they going to be encouraged to take those classes um, from by their parents or by the teachers? I don't know. Right. But that's what I'm saying. Like that has to be available. It has to be a different outlet because like what we're saying, just sitting down at a desk, having somebody talk at you. Yes. Like that's not for everybody. And it's almost like we we know that like practically it can't be for everybody. Like everybody can't put everybody can't learn the same way. Like we know that there's di- eight different types of intelligence, <laughs> you know, it's not. Exactly. Just, and so if we know that, why aren't we teaching to that? But it's just like the system says, Oh, we're going to do it this way. And it works good for us and we're profitable at it. So you then know, how would they assess it? Right. And what tests would they sell to the school district? Exactly. Cause it all comes down to the money. It all comes down to the money, but um, so. man, yeah, everything is all interconnected for sure. All right, so They'll last find test. <laughs> They'll find a test for that. No doubt, no doubt. They'll find something. <laughs> Already. 
Um, last question in the Fat Five. Um, what message do you want communicated at your eulogy? Wow, that she was a loyal black woman who fought for her community mm. and um, loved her children, biological children, the black children who are not biologically hers. Mm. <laughs> so, um, yeah. That's solid. That's solid. And and the beautiful thing about that is you're literally doing that work to be able to fulfill that, you know, to fulfill that dream, fulfill that wish. So um, I'm sure that's I'm sure that's rewarding. And you you feel that every day when you get done, even even when you're tired and even when, you know, it's just like, man, dealing with these kids. But at the end of the day, you know, you're doing the right thing. So that's that's you sound like me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I'm happy with the, the school, the class I am in now. Um, kids with a lot of trauma, but I feel like um, I I don't know. I feel like they're they're growing. I see it from what I understand of their experience. What I was told, they're really growing, and I see a difference because I came in with the mindset of, well, I understand, but I believe in you. Mm. You know. So I'm like, what am I going to be here for if I don't believe in you? So I, I'm really excited. Like I really have a good rapport with my students and I really uh, enjoy teaching them every morning, getting up on virtual school. So mm -hmm. I'm excited every day to get up to, for them. Every year I have not been excited like that because it's been a lot of challenges, mm -hmm. you know, but it's a good year. That's awesome. I'm, yeah, I'm glad that 2020 is a, is a good year for you and, and, you know, in some type of way. I know it's been it's been rocky for all of us, but it's always good to be able to identify those highlights. And so that's that's yeah. good to hear. That's encouraging. No doubt. Well, Tiki, I appreciate you once again for coming on and um, just just blessing us with this knowledge and this expertise. I hope that, you know, everyone was able to take away a, a good tidbit of knowledge. I'm sure you guys have heard something that you haven't heard before. So, Tiki, I want to thank you once again for coming through and blessing us with the information. So thank you so much for having me here today and um, have a good, I know you're busy with your family. <laughs> I know I keep forgetting the time zone. Oh. Like, like late, we're about to go to bed and you right. are still like in the middle of the day. And so uh, yeah. but thank you for taking this time out and come in and keep up the good work that you're doing for our community. Please don't stop. Please don't stop. We are much, 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 much needed. And um, every time I meet a brother or sister like you, I feel like I've met a celebrity, honestly. Oh, <laughs> so, I know it sounds crazy, but I do. Far too kind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't meet too many people who are trying to change things in our community. So, Word. you know, to see that and to meet someone who's younger, who's, who's not like 50, 60 years old, <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's a blessing. So keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you. I will. I promise you I will. All right. Okay. So once right. again, y'all. Oh, also, I don't know if you're on the socials like that or if you want to give out your information, but if there's any way that someone would like to get a hold of you, how can they do that? I would say um, Tiki Davis on um, Facebook. Okay. T-I-K-I Davis. And my email, my other email, my alternate email is Wilkes, W-I-L-K-E-S, 1824 at gmail.com. Wilkes, W-I-L-K-E-S, 8, 1824 at gmail.com. And I will be starting, I'm starting like maybe 
next year trying to start my own homeschool pod. So anybody interested? <laughs> nice. Yeah, we can yeah. do that. So. For sure. Yes. All right. Once again, y'all, it's the Socks and Sandals podcast. Where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. Highlight y'all next time around. Grace and peace. Take care.